0: Good evening, church. Um, My name is Emba, and I will be reading tonight's passage for us. Uh, We are continuing in the book of Job, so if you could please open your Bibles to Job chapter 1. We'll start reading from verse 13 right up to chapter 2, verse 13. That is the book of Job, chapter 1, from verse 13 right up to chapter 2, verse 13. Um, it will be up on the screen as well now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and there came a messenger to job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on this earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Terminite, both that the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. They made an appointment together to come show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And, when they, ra- and they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good evening, church. It's great to be together this evening, isn't it? Um, it is a joy for me to be opening god 's word um, to us this evening, so I, pray, uh, I do hope that you'll keep that uh, passage open as we work our way through um, that section of um, job 's um, um, story. So I do hope that you are uh, expecting to hear from god 's word, expecting to be transformed and a bit shaken by uh, the God that we encounter here in uh, in this story. Uh, just to say a warm welcome back to juniors, um, to our evening service, to Christchurch Midland. Uh It is great to have you um, back with us. Um, We're in the DRC. Bienvenue encore au Afrique du Sud. Uh, what else? Yeah, that's it. (laughs) My French time has run out. Um, It is the evening. Um, So if you're joining us for the very first time, uh, you were not here last week or you didn't catch it uh, online, we started off our series which is titled Faith in the New Normal and we're looking at uh, what faith looks like. Uh, when disaster strikes, what it means to follow God when things don't go our way and when life takes a wrong curve. Uh, and we kick-started last week uh, in chapter 1, verses 1 to um, to 12, which kind of introduces to us uh, the story of Job and uh, the key question that is being asked and the key question that the book seems uh, to grapple with. Uh, so there is uh, verse 9, uh, just to recap you, verse 9, Uh, This key word, this key question that if you miss, uh, you will not understand the whole book of Job. So this key question that is found in verse 9 is that, does Job fear God for no reason? Does he come to God and worship Him and serve Him just because? um, Or does he fear Him uh, and worship Him because he has something to gain from, from, from that? It is a story about... Um, it is a story that's primarily focused in on faith. In other words, why do you and I worship God? Just think about the words that we sing this evening in the song. I will build my life upon your word. Uh, I will trust in you and in you alone. Um, this unshakable faith um, that we sing sometimes that God is our foundation. Now, the question is, is he really? Um, when trouble comes, this uh, is still the foundation. Um, if we've never been shaken, how can we say that God is our foundation? Uh, and so the challenger, the Satan, uh, last week said uh, to, to, to to Yahweh, God, uh, does Job fear of God uh, for no reason? Um, because the test of true righteousness, the test of true faith would be worshiping God without any promise of reward. That's the challenges um, challenge to us uh, this evening, and that's um, the challenge that he poses. Uh, now, somebody might be listening in on the website. Uh, let's give him the name Tepo. Uh, Tepo stays in Caswell North uh, apartment. Uh, he's uh, living it up. He's probably listening in on his beat earphones, sitting on his camp chair, um, as is the custom in Midrand. Uh, Tepo is eating his two minute. Noodles, now if you're listening in tempo, uh, just to say if you are grappling with God, this is a, a series for, for you. And perhaps you've lost touch with God, perhaps you have lost faith in God. Uh, you say, that I've given Jesus a, a chance, but he, it doesn't seem like he's come through for me. And so last week we saw that what the challenger says, what the Satan says and poses to God... Um, what the book is trying to teach us in the first 12 verses, is that true faith in God is coming to God to get God and not to get from God. True faith is coming to God to get God and not to get from God. So that's the summary of last week. Uh, I hope you'll have that in mind as we venture into uh, passage this evening. So why don't you bow your heads as I lead us uh, in prayer for God to help us, uh, for God to help me as we walk our way through this. Uh, Father, we uh, do pray this evening uh, that you'd help us to wrestle with you. We pray as is the hope for this series that you'd open up our eyes to see you in ways that we've never seen you before, uh, that you'd open up our hearts to just be honest with you. Pray that you would give us ears to hear Jesus, um, give us eyes to see him, and give us eyes to uh, trust uh, him. Uh, give us a faith uh, that can face tomorrow's challenges right here and right now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It must have been around 7 or 8 o'clock. My, my family and I were preparing to, uh, to sleep and uh, somebody was walking in the street and shouted the most horrific uh, words that a 12-year-old can hear. The house is burning down. Um, and that's when we walked outside and we found uh, that our little hut where we used to do all our activities uh, was burning down. Um, It was burning, and you can see that everyone is just shocked and just trying to grasp for water. We didn't have hose pipes. They were uh, grabbing water from the containers, trying to put out the fire. Uh, But it was too late, and the fire had um, already already just burned this thing down. You know, that moment when you just don't believe it, uh, that this is actually happening, that moment of disbelief where you continue to just chuck water there, but you can see that this is... Now, uh, this is over. Um, I think the moment it sunk in is when that roof collapsed, that thatched roof uh, collapsed and burned everything. I still remember my grandmother putting her hands on the head uh, and weeping. And so that's um, just to say that in Situana culture, it is forbidden uh, for anybody to just, you don't put your head. If you had to do that as a kid, they'll tell you stop, stop it. Uh, don't put your head on your hands on the head. Uh, and it is in that moment that I came to realize that they say that uh, because you only put your hands on your head like that in moments of great tragedy and loss. Um, and so that's what happened that evening. It's engraved in my head. Twenty-one or so years later. It was a moment of great loss. Still remember the following morning, people coming in to console us, um, to ask what had happened, um, the fire, the ash. We had to wait for it to cool down uh, to try salvage everything that was burned in the fire that evening. Um, the fire was so hot that one of the aluminum pots, um, the lid, to this day is still kind of bent. A little bit from that fire. Some of the stuff just bent. Um, all of it bent. I'll never forget that evening because it robbed us, or nearly robbed us, of our livelihood. Um, because there's no outsurance in the village. <laughs> when when it bends down, that's it. That's your whole utensils that you've collected over the years bend down in just a moment like that, gone. No way to retrieve it. Um, I still remember how it nearly robbed us of our livelihood. Uh, my grandmother used to run a little bit, uh, a little brewing uh, business. Her traditional beer was the best in the village, uh, so that that sustained us. Uh, and so you can imagine when everything is burned, it means there's no business that's gonna be um, coming in. It was just tough. And and for, for me as a kid, the stories around the fire. Uh, this is the place where we used to have fire. This is the place where we used to cook, boil the water. In winter, this is the place where we even bathed because the fire was warm and it was gone just like that. Now, that's the thing about loss, isn't it, that we can all relate to. That it seems to rob us of everything. It it robs us of our dignity. It robs us of our possession, our, our sanity. Our happiness, our memories, it robs us of everything and it leaves us with scars and questions. Why did this happen? Questions upon questions. And as I was reading through Job, I was thinking to myself, the book is written to Israelite people, um, but it's not primarily as they read it. They were not reading it with a, a mindset of my personal suffering, Although that's true, but they were reading it collectively as a nation, as they look at looked at their situation and their great uh, some of their great laws that they have encountered, some of the great sufferings that they have encountered, cities being taken away, their sons being taken into slavery, their daughters being trafficked for possession by foreign nations, um, and in fact, most of the Bible happens and is written. Most of the Old Testament, the story of God. And his people, Israel, happens in the context of suffering and loss. Um, And so as we read it, as you read some of the prophets, especially Lamentations, you'll see that the opening lines um, present to us this picture of a weeping widow with no one to console. Uh, Somebody crying because of the uh, great loss that they have encountered. Um, And so Job, in in that way, speaks to collective suffering. It speaks to personal suffering. It speaks to, I think, everything that we go through. Uh, Suffering is so much and loss, so much part of the human experience, isn't it? Just in this church alone, there's been so much loss. Uh, Some have lost their jobs. Some have lost family members. um, Some have lost parents, lost all hope in life. Perhaps it's a career that you put your hopes in and you're just figuring out that, man, this is, this is going to be it. You feel like you've lost your youth um, to this thing. Uh, we feel robbed by our loss. And we carry the scar and we still have questions. Questions, questions, questions. Questions help us to kind of make sense of it. Um, God, if I understand how long this thing is, perhaps I'll make better sense of it. Uh, if I understand why you did it, um, I'll be able to grab, grapple with why um, you did it. And it will help me cope. And so we ask ourselves questions upon questions upon questions. What have I done to deserve this? I don't know if you've ever found yourself asking that question. Or where is God in all of it? Does he see what is happening? Does he see my life? And because if we, if we are to be honest, sometimes God feels like a mid night shift security guy. Um, he's there. Um, he works hard. We appreciate their work. But every now and again, they sleep on their job. Um, and things just slip in. A thief in my complex, a thief came in and we were like, where was security? Um, probably sleeping on the job because they work um, hard, hard jobs. And so it is with us sometimes, isn't it? If you're Christian, if you're honest, it just feels like God is sleeping on the job. Um, and so as we encounter this book, we're going to see what what God has to say to some of the things that we feel. What God has to say to loss and how it drops us, how it leaves us with scars and questions. So we're going to see in our text this evening, chapter 1, verses 13 to chapter 2, the end of it. We're going to see it under two headings. Number one, keeping faith in the loss and the scars. Uh, Number two, keeping faith in the endless questions one keeping faith in the loss and the scars number two keeping faith in the endless questions let's have a look at uh, question the first point keeping faith in times of loss and this is where the the, the trouble begins um, i don't know if you've ever watched how many of you watched that show called velapi um, some of you are too young to know what Velapi is. Velapi is an SABC one story that used to play back in the day about a Kosa guy in his scooter who would often get himself into, into trouble. Uh, and there's this famous phrase from Velapi that he used to say every now and again when he would get in trouble with Togo. He would say, Somebody? Ya Kala gain madoda." Now begins the trouble. Now the trouble begins. Let's have a look at verses 9 to 12 as we try to refresh our minds as to what the actual question of the book is. Uh, Chapters 1 verse 9 to to 12 gives us context for verse verse 13. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, "'Does Job fear God for no reason?' Does he serve him for for nothing? Verse 10. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has uh, on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand. If you just smite him, if you just shake him up a little bit, stretch out his um, your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Verse 12. The Lord accepts uh, the challenge and, say, and the Lord, Yahweh, said to the Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. If you just take away the stuff that he has, the stuff that he gets from you, I'm pretty sure this guy is going to lose his faith. faith. And so the question remains... Uh, Will Job lose his faith? Uh, Is Job serving God because he's got Egyptian cotton, drives a Range Rover and a Rolls Royce uh, on the weekend? Um, This guy has a private banker. Um, It's easy to worship God, isn't it? Um, We're in those moments, in moments when life is going well. Take away his things. Let's see if we will still worship and serve you. Have a look at verse 13 to 19, as the narrator um, tells us the, the story and how it unfolds. Uh, next week, we're going to pick up just the structure of the book, and I do think that these two weeks are a bit of an introduction to um, to our series. Quite a long intro. Verse um, 13 to, to 19, and so everything, everything is stripped away. The trouble begins. Now, there was a day when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their old, oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and donkeys feeding besides them, uh, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of a sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you, while he was sleeping there, Came another one and who said the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up all the sheep and the servants and consumed them and I alone have escaped to tell you, verse seventeen. While he was still speaking, there was another. There came another and, uh, and said the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have come um, have escaped to tell you, while he was still speaking there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Verse 19, and behold, the great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. What a great tragedy. Um, Trouble upon trouble, suffering upon suffering. As we said last week that um, there's four incidences here. Um, that just means that his suffering was, if there was ever a perfect storm, this was a perfect, perfect storm. I will tell you one day about two occasions when I was with my friends at the beach and they nearly, nearly drowned. Um, I was obviously not there because I'm from Rustenburg, and uh, (laughs) we don't swim in the ocean. Um, uh, So what happens, we'll tell you that story one day. But here's the thing that happens, uh, and I think it was the same beach where they nearly drowned. It's one of those, I think it's in Toti, that has a ditch and then a bank. Uh, So you swim across this uh, deep water, and then you stand there, and it's like there's a bank where you can stand. Now, what normally happens, and what happens is that they were swimming in this uh, um, part of the the sea, and then the water, the current pulls you, and then another thing that happens is that waves upon waves come, and as soon as you try to breathe, and they're holding hands at this time, as soon as you try to breathe, another wave hits you, another wave hits you. While that wave hits you, you want to breathe, and Another wave, on and on it comes. And this seems to be what's happening here in Job. The narrator focuses uh, attention on him, and waves after waves of uh, destruction and um, problems come to him. He doesn't even have time to process what is happening. This is enough to break um, any, any, any man. First, he loses his means of production. Uh, some union workers were, were protesting, uh, wanting a thousand rand more. Um, and an angry employee incited everyone to say, let's burn up this uh, whole warehouse. Uh, and so they did. Touched up everything. And then some protesters also went to some of his shops uh, and, and destroyed destroyed everything. Notice the repeat, repetition. And I alone have escaped to tell you while he was speaking, uh, before Job could process it, another person, his accountant came and said, yo, those Alan Gray investments that we did, that uh, that company defrauded us. Everything is gone. All your wealth is gone. While he was still speaking, another one came with more bad news that the trucks that were coming from on the M3, a couple of guys hijacked those trucks, and the rest of the stock that was by the ocean, was swept away by the flood. And just like that, Job loses um, everything. Just as this um, truck driver, the only one left to tell him what had happened, uh, after he finished speaking, another one calls him on his iPhone 13 Pro Max to receive one of the worst news ever. Any parent dreads to get this kind of kind of call. Hey, your, your kids were in Umdloti. Um, they were having a house party at the holiday home and the flood just wiped out everything. That's tragic, isn't it? <laughs> this is something that happens that you're just sleeping. I was in Durban recently and the guy says that just mudslides would come and destroy everyone. Imagine losing your entire family. I don't even imagine that because it happened for some families where you just lose all your children in one go, And so that is uh, the story of Job. Um, it's four different disasters coming from four different directions with four different messengers announcing time and time again like waves coming at you uh, that this is what has happened. Uh, you have lost Everything, everything that we saw in verses 1 to 3 that Job has, that is a blessing from God, has been wiped off. It's gone. Have a look at verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Verse 21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, and that word, Lord, is Yahweh. Verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin, and charge God with wrong. What was the challenger saying? Strip away everything, and he will not serve you. Because he serves you for the stuff that you give him. Uh, well, we see that um, his, his theories somewhat proved um, to be wrong because everything is stripped away and it doesn't seem like Job came to God to get stuff from God. It seems like he came to God to get God. You see, faith for Christians was like a cell phone contract. If Faith for Christians um, worked like cell phone contracts. How do they work? It's a symbiotic relationship. It's a mutually beneficial relationship, um, we scratch their bag. And sometimes if network allowing, they, they scratch our bag. And so that's, that's the rule of the contract. Um, if they keep up the end of the bargain, they give us the phone and network, we keep up our end of the bargain and we give them money at the end of the month. Um, if faith worked like that, if faith in God was something like that, then it makes sense at this point for Job not to continue his contract, to call the heavenly uh, call center and say, I'm just not happy with um, your service right now. Uh, you are not doing as you um, are expected to. You're not keeping up your end of the bargain, uh, O oh Lord. Uh, how many of us have ever felt like asking God um, or speaking honestly to God in that way? God, I don't feel like. I feel like I've served you so much. But you not keeping your end of the bargain. Well, the challenger, again, is proved right. God doesn't necessarily engage with people that way. Job doesn't necessarily worship God for the things that God gives him. Or does he? Does he? And the challenger comes again in scene 2, chapter, chapter 2 from verse 4. Again, another scene uh, in heaven. And God says, well, everything was taken away, but Job still serves. And Satan says, well, of course, if you, any man would give up his possession. But if you were to just strike him personally, let's ramp up the heat here and, and strip him of everything. Let him be robbed of everything. Have a look at verse 4. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. It's quite interesting that when Hebrews writers write, they cannot use the word curse, uh, curse God. Um, So they use the word, the euphemism, bless God. Does that make sense? Um, So you never say to your elders, you're lying. In, where I come from, uh, you just say, I think you're missing a point. Uh, you'll never say, uh, as a devout Hebrew, curse God. You, you just don't write that. So they, they wrote um, what the Satan said, is that if you take away everything, if you destroy his him, he will bless you, meaning he will curse you. Um, at the end of the story... What does Job do? He blesses God. Um, that's just for your info, by the way. Um, and so the heat is ramped up. Have a look at verse seven. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his food to the crown of his head, and he took a piece of broken pottery which, with which he used, which with Scrape himself while he sat in the ashes? How much more can you take away from somebody's life? How much more do people have to experience in terms of suffering? There's just uh, certain lives at church where you look at somebody and you're like, Scott, like why? Another another problem, another loss. Why are you doing things the way you are doing. I'm sure Job would have felt that. No doubt he, has, he had scars scars from those sores as he scratched himself. Not only has he lost everything, but he's lost uh, his dignity to a point where his friends do not recognize him. Um, that is a sad situation, isn't it? It made me remember the times when, when HIV and AIDS hit South Africa, when it first came to my village, before the ARVs, where somebody that you knew, it struck them to the point of no recognition. Like the skull, like the skin would be clinging to their skull. It was a horrific, horrific picture. Uh, such is the picture here with Joe's friends. And they do this costume as they see him. Uh, it's as if they mourning him that he's, he's as good as dead. That is the extent of this man's suffering i think these are my words now not job's words (laughs) it is easier to see physical scars isn't it somebody struck by hiv um, destroyed beyond recognition but very often the emotional damage uh, that also happens and the emotional scars um, often leave us um, as people who are beyond recognition Loss does that, doesn't it? It robs us of everything and our very dignity. um, And it makes us and it leaves us uh, with endless, endless questions. Endless questions. That is our second point. Number one, um, Job has to keep the faith uh, in the loss, in the scars. I don't know how he felt. Uh, the second point is that it is keeping faith in the endless questions. Uh, Job, no doubt, had questions. Not Job, no doubt, had questions about God's dealings uh, with, um, with him. I've served you. Of course, he worships him. Of course, he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. But no doubt, he had questions. And no doubt, he had to grapple with those questions as he grappled with his, uh, his faith. The other day, I was um, sitting with somebody at the, at the restaurant. And they said something profound about the Christian life and suffering. Um, it was a mic drop moment. I don't think the person even realized. Uh, they said that you can, as a Christian, read the Bible um, as it tells you about suffering. They said, I, I read the book of James. And I know the book of James says, not if we are going to suffer as Christians... But when you suffer, but they said that it seems like suffering slaps hard, or rather, you can read about suffering, but when you go through it, it slaps different, doesn't it? It is different when you go through it. It's like, no, that. I read that book. I know what it says, but man, this is, this is difficult, and it's left me with so many questions, and it's left me struggling and grappling with God, this is the reason why I'm grappling with my faith right now. I just can't believe that God can take me through suffering. And then they look beyond their lives and say, "I can't believe that God um, does these things to Christians as well." Other Christians. Um, so remember my friend, my Bible college roommate, Itumeleng Hope Motrope, one of the nicest guys you would ever meet. One of the most zealous persons for the kingdom of God. Um, you know when they say somebody will never hit a fly? I feel like that, that was the guy. And I shared a room with him. So it's, yeah, I, I, I can testify of his life, his faith, uh, having left his job at, um, at Apsa, wanting to serve God, and then drowns in Mozambique. God, wh- why, why are you doing that? Why would you do that? Then another incidence of a guy that we knew back in varsity, his name was Yandi worked for this uh, student Christian organization, impacted men who are now in the ministry today, dies in mysterious ways. And again, this person was saying, how is it that those things happened? Why did hope have to die? Surely he saved you, Lord. Why does God allow these things? I think be, be, behind those questions is what we're trying to grapple with. a faith in the new normal. Faith when life throws a curveball to us to, towards you. Now here's the thing. <laughs> when you read the book of Job, it will disappoint you because it's not going to give you the answers. It's not going to give you Answers. In fact, the book is set up in a way so as to avoid easy answers. It presents you the most righteous man. It presents you the worst of suffering. And it brings the question to you, how does God work in this world? Why do we serve him even? Because the righteous man, if he can go through that, if God can strike his very own, then what's the point of it? And that's the point of the whole book. And here are a couple of pitfalls we get into when we read Job. Okay? So there are no easy answers. Pitfall number one, what do we do? We ask the wrong questions of the text. The, the text. We ask questions like, why does, and does God allow suffering? What is the origin of suffering? Where did it come from? We knew, I think we knew who burned down our house. So it was easy to figure out what was the origin. But very often we would ask ourselves, well, what's the origin of this question? And when we bring those questions to Job, guess what we get? A God who doesn't, doesn't make sense. Because he makes a bet with the Satan. What kind of God is that? Um, but as we remember, that, that is not the main Question of this book. The main question is Does God bless people who serve Him? Do people serve God because He blesses them? That's the main question. The second thing, the second pitfall we have um, we, number one, we ask the wrong question of questions from the text. Number two is that we want answers from the text. Um, and the sort of answers we come up with is that, well, we have the inside scoop um, because Job doesn't see the scene in heaven. We get to see it, and therefore we get to understand better why he's going through suffering. Michael, my, Martin Shield, who was very helpful in helping me understand or grapple with Job, he says that the book of Job is like an ancient riddle. It makes you do the very thing that it tells you not to do. Let me say that again and explain it. The book of Job is like an ancient riddle. It makes you do, as you read it, it makes you do the things that it's telling you not to do. So if you read the whole of it, you'll realize that it's telling you Do not think you have the answers. But the narrator seems to give us a a clue. So we think we know what's happening in the heavenly scene. So it makes us to think that the real reason for Job is obviously Satan has struck him. But when you read close, you're like, wait a minute. But he's also saying that the Lord says that Satan incited him to strike Job. So is it is it coming from the Lord? Is it coming from the devil, Satan? It makes us think that we have the answers by the time you read chapter 2. But in actual effect, we need to read the book in light of the whole story. In light of the whole story. And the way the story ends, it ends with more questions. No answer whatsoever. So number one, we bring wrong questions. Number two, we want answers from the text. Um, We think that this is somehow teaching us about our own suffering. Uh, One of the writers says um, that Job's suffering, his suffering does not give us direction about our suffering, but his reasons for righteousness should make us think about our reasons for righteousness. As we read the story, we need to be asking ourselves not so much, why am I going through this? But we need to be asking ourselves, why do I serve God as I'm walking through this? What is the reason for my faith and my righteousness? It wants us to grapple with that, but it does never give us um, the answers. The other one, quickly, is that we bring our own um, theological knowledge which is great. (laughs) That is what the friends did. The stuff that they say in chapter 3 following is good theology. Theology that is affirmed by other parts of Scripture. But in their theological knowledge, um, they fail to realize, and we often fail to realize, that sometimes we just don't know. There are things that are a mystery to us. And I guess that's where the book leaves us. And that's the unique thing that it brings to the whole Bible story. Um, it tells us that, yeah, sometimes there are no answers. Uh, and fourthly, I think another pitfall is that we use that theological knowledge to avoid the unique message of this book. In, in our search for, uh, for, for answers, um, we kind of develop a framework. And say, that's it. (laughs) We figured out how God works. Now we can explain why we go through suffering. Kate Bowler, the lady that I spoke about last week who was suffering with colon cancer, she says that we are all addicted to control. So rather control is a drug and we are all hooked. And I think very often the reason why we need answers is for control. Um, If we can just gain control over a situation because we don't want to feel like we're not in control. And we use good theology. She speaks about her own experiences and Christians reminding her, yeah, you have cancer, but your home is in heaven. Good theology, isn't it? Uh, and she's it's like, it's like, very often I want to remind those Christians uh, if, and ask them if they want to go first um, to heaven. Um, good theology, we believe that, But sometimes we just don't know, and it's not helpful um, to use that as a lead uh, as we try to encourage uh, other people. So how do we bring everything that uh, we've said together? Uh, I think what we're trying to say is this book is grappling with faith issues uh, that very often we want answers. uh, Very often, Tepo, if you're listening and you just hate God because you went through suffering, can I encourage you to come back um, to church? Uh, Very often, uh, we would say, well, I'm struggling with my faith. If I can just have the answers, if He can answer one, two, three questions, then I'll come back to church. Then I will believe in God uh, once again. Um, But very often, and this is the point of our message uh, this evening, that contrary to our normal way of thinking, Christian faith normally functions in times where we don't have the answers. Christian faith shines through where we don't have the answers. John Walton says this about faith and trust, that you don't need to trust if you know all the answers. But trusting, and this is the message of the whole book, trusting is our response to God when we don't have the answers. And we need power from above for God to help us to trust Him, even in those moments when we don't have the answers, because I know uh, sometimes that we we go through stuff, and we use good theology. We use the Christian story, which is amazing. Uh, the story that we live in a fallen world; that is why we suffer. Uh, and uh, Jesus came to sort out our problems. Um, he came to die to put an end to suffering. He resurrected as a stamp uh, to destroy everything very often we want to hear that because it's a message of of hope that our story doesn't end in hopelessness. And that story is powerful. That's what I believe. And we're going to get there. (laughs) But just not yet. Not yet. Because sometimes we go there too quickly. So we haven't learned to sit in the questions. We haven't learned to sit in the confusion. Uh, Sometimes we go towards the answers and we fail to sit, sit with people who are going through difficulties and says, and say to them, it hurts. It hurts. Just to sit with them in that. I often wonder, as I look at Jesus, I'm like, he knew good theology. He knew that he's the resurrection and the life. That he will raise Lazarus back to life. But what did he do? as he saw his friend dead, the shortest verse in scripture, Jesus wept. He cried. Um, And I think the unique message that Job leaves with us is that of understanding God in our suffering, or rather trusting him because sometimes we just don't understand his ways. Sometimes he's bigger than us and we're going to see as we go on Uh, through with this book, how the different friends give theological reasons and answers uh, to try to grapple with Job. Uh, But as I leave us uh, this evening, a message that contrary to our normal thinking, just remember that faith sometimes, and in most times, is seen in moments when you don't have the answers. And so may God, through the help of his Spirit, Help us to have that kind of faith, whatever it is that we are struggling with and going through. Let me pray for us, Father. We are so mindful of our limitations. Uh, we oh, I don't think sometimes we are, Lord, and so we do pray that you would make us mindful of our limitations. That you'll help us see some of the angst and the pain that we carry. That you'll help us and empower us by your Spirit to, to trust you, um, to learn more about your character, uh, to see your majesty, particularly as we look at this book of Job. I pray that it will be a book that helps us to grapple with you and that we will do that. I pray for someone who's going through a difficult moment. Uh, May this be a safe space for them to just say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I pray for the Christian community that you'd help us to be people who sit with others in their suffering, who seek others uh, to sit with us in our suffering, to admit when we don't have the answers or when our answers just don't suffice in um, bringing healing. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us faith in times of loss, uh, that you'd give us a faith that um, looks to you uh, in this new normal, uh, that we would turn to you and trust you through the help of your Spirit. This we pray in your name and for our good. Amen. Amen. Amen.